Your career in banking is calling. Hudson Valley Credit Union is hiring financial service reps, tellers, contact center specialists, and universal branch associates. Join our team and receive amazing benefits like a $1,000 sign-on bonus, individual medical insurance for less than $5 a week, and much more. Don't just get a job. Build a career at Hudson Valley Credit Union now. Go to hvcu.org slash careers to apply or attend one of our upcoming job fairs. Thanks for joining us again on These Are Bad Movies. I'm Amy Bell. And I'm Amanda Ferriante. And hey, if you haven't done it already, uh, go ahead and do that like, subscribe, five-star review, and then follow us on social media because we love hearing from you. We love engaging with you. It's fun, It really is. We're nice. We really are. It seems like we are just so downing on everything you love, but we're very nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I am. Amanda's not, actually. I've learned how to lie. <laughs> <laughs> I could say we're nice. <laughs> you should definitely talk to us. <laughs> okay, so this week we are doing an extra special episode uh, for our Spooky October series. And we are going to be teaming up with Movie Night Extravaganza with Forrest Miller. Uh, J. Andrew World, and also Charlie Roberts is coming to join us again. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we're all together going to do Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. The original. There's a remake? There's a bunch. Well, there's such a thing as sequels. Yeah. Is there a remake remake? Yes. Oh. I, I, I haven't watched any of it. Yeah, you did not come prepared... Well, that's what we this one. That's what we watch them for. Yeah, that's the prep. Jeez, get off my back, mom! (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know I had horror movie homework. Yes, you always have horror movie homework. Dang it! What do you think we're doing here? Having fun? I was confused. Was I supposed to do the reading before or after the lecture? (laughs) Uh, I don't know if I've seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre or not. You've seen bits. I feel like I had to have seen it. I I don't know. I mean, it's one of those movies that I think you just kind of take for granted. Is is it the one where the prop body is dragged through the front door window at the very end of the movie and it's very obviously fake? Or is that Nightmare on Elm Street? I don't know. Like, I feel like that's a lot of old horror movies. Yeah, but it's notorious in one of them. I don't know. I bet it's Nightmare on Elm Street. This know. is this in my mind is one of the gorier slasher movies. Like that's the reputation I have built up around it in my head. Yeah. I I think there's going to be a lot of gore. Um I don't even know what the plot is. I have I have really no ideas about this movie other than in in my head it's going to be like walking through 
a haunted house like a commercial haunted house i think it's more like rural farmland kind of setting huh is what i imagine and also maybe some exterior and interior running uh-huh. running in different settings okay <laughs> some murder a chainsaw and i want to say it's taking inspiration from real killings i uh. want to say ooh that's what i want to say oh okay well you know i'm ready to watch it yeah, I got to do the homework. I got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, I'm really behind. <laughs> I've been slacking. <laughs> you know those dreams where it's like the end of the semester and, oh, no, you never went to any of the classes or did any of the homework. And, and you're you... in your underwear. Well, no, not that far. But you do have to, like, beg, <laughs> beg mm-hmm. for a chance to take a W. it's like that but with extracurriculars and something i'm supposed to enjoy (laughs) the whole point of this podcast is to crush people's joy oh we've been doing that from the very beginning (laughs) mission accomplished all right let's watch this thing yep hey we all watched the movie did we watch it did you watch it did you watch the movie we what happens all... if you're live and someone just goes no? <laughs> we no. all watched it. <laughs> we watched them. it. Eject. <laughs> yeah, you're no longer here. You didn't do the that homework. Was the, uh, the Cole James Cash. We finally got him on, and he's like, "All right, let's talk about this movie I haven't watched." Oh. All right, and then and then someone, one of you lucky people, has to summarize the plot. Is anybody I mean, this, is you know. anybody um, up to the task? Nose goes. You know, I'll I'll, I'll summarize the plot. There you go. Go right. for it first. So the plot of Texas Chainsaw Massacre is that five friends are traveling on a road trip through Texas after it's found out that um that all these graveyards have been robbed. And uh, you know, there's a there's a brother and sister, and the brother's very annoying and in a wheelchair. They're trying to find out whether their grandfather's grave's been robbed and then go to his house for whatever reason that's deep in rural Texas. And on the way there, there's a gas station and the car runs out of gas, which of course, you know, horror movie. The car is always running out of gas. Mm-hmm. Or the van. The van is always <laughs> running out of gas. There's a hitchhiker before the gas station. Oh, yeah. there's. Is that before the... Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yes. All right. So they stop and pick up, pick up a hitchhiker who's extremely weird and has a knife and cuts himself with one knife and then pulls out a second knife and takes a picture of them and then burns the picture in a in a paper thing and... and uh, they kick him out of the out of the van, and he it's runs tin past. Tinfoil forest. You make hats out of it. Yeah, but there's like there's something else in there that's not just tinfoil. It's not just gun burning. Gunpowder. It. It, it's it's gunpowder. Yeah. All right. I'm not a, I'm not a Texas person. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, don't yeah, you like burn photos with gunpowder <laughs> in the rest of the country? I mean, come on. That's like what we do. That's just you know high school. I am I I enjoyed making fireworks as a teenager, like actual fireworks. So made gunpowder from scratch, and then Very went fun. to a gas station and ate some barbecue. Yeah, that's where you eat the barbecue, and then you showed up at your grandpa's house. Yes, and did some exploring. That sounds After weird. After being told by the gas station guy, you don't want to go to no old house. Bad things you can get hurt in them old house. People don't like trespassers. So of course, immediately they trespass <laughs> on the next house, not the grandfather's house. First, the first couple disappears, 
and you find out that they've been chainsawed to death by a random person, but nobody knows that. So the next guy comes looking for them, and he also meets Leatherface, the old chainsaw, um, you know, hacker. <laughs> so that leaves the that leaves. Was it the brother and sister yeah, left at the Sally end? Sally and it Franklin. The, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So these the brother and sister at the end, and finally it gets dark out, and they finally decide to go looking for everybody else. And out of nowhere, Leatherface pops up with his chainsaw, saws the the wheelchair in half that you know Franklin's sitting in. Sally gets away, runs away all the way to the gas station that she started at, and he thinks she's gonna be safe, or you know, you think something, you know, maybe she'll get rescued or something. But no, it turns out the gas station guy that told them to stay away from old houses is. I, I, I realized today, I think he's the father of, of the hitchhiker and, and Leatherface. At first, I was like, is he a strange brother? Because there's all the like incestuous relationships going on. But um, watching that documentary, they said there's three generations of, of people in the house. So it would assumably be that the brother is uh, the hitchhiker and Leatherface. And then the gas station guy is the father. And then there's obviously grandpa. And so he kidnaps her, brings her to the brings her to the house, picks up the hitchhiker, because I guess he just hangs out and waits for anybody to pick him up. And, well, he was, uh, he go... was near the house. He'd been walking. Well, I think he was at the graveyard. No, he he, he'd caught. just come back from the graveyard. Yeah. Because he had a That's where they found him. hobby. Yeah. Yeah. So they go to this house and it's full of like, you know, pieces of dead bodies. And there's a dead like chicken in there. And <laughs> there's the you think it's a dead. The grandpa's dead or, you know, an old man and, and a woman. But you find out that it's actually alive. Like the grandpa's still alive and he has like a, a face mask thing on. Which is supposed so they... to be his face. But he's like preserved. It's like very like. Well, he's they, he's close to being the way Grandma is. Yeah. All right. Well, so they have them all down for dinner, and they're all sitting around, and they get the idea. First, the the hitchhiker's taunting the father, and telling him he's nothing but a cook, and the father's saying, "I don't, you know, I I don't uh I don't like killing. I don't like killing." And he's like, "Yeah, you're good for nothing. You're just the cook." And he's taunting his father, really just you know trying to crawl up the alpha position, I guess. Well, the whole time, Sally is tied to an armchair, literally. Yeah, literally literally an armchair. And they get the the brilliant idea (laughs) that it's time to uh, kill her like like cattle with the with the mallet that they hit the the cattle with. It's the the grandpa's original job is to, you know, he's the the cattle killer. And it's kind of a through line through the the whole movie. Yeah. Yeah. And he's the best killer because he only needs one hit to kill the cows, whereas everyone else takes two. (laughs) <laughs> he killed 60 in five minutes and he could have done more if they could have dragged all the scouts away. Yeah. So they're going to, they're going to kill her using grandpa after he's already sucked on her finger. Real gross and nasty with real blood. That, that was a real cut, real blood. Yeah. No, the entire movie is disgusting. Yeah. No, they, they couldn't get the blood packs to work. And so I'm um, just uh-huh. like, fine, cut my finger. Huh. No, the whole movie is nasty. Uh, yeah. Ooh. And and the shooting of it has to be nastier than the actual movie in a lot of cases mm-hmm. because she's really getting the <laughs> beaten out of her every single time. And I, I, there's the, the documentary that I was watching. Um, the guy that plays the father is saying, oh, well, well, all of them are saying, oh, we didn't really feel comfortable like hitting her. But then all of a sudden, like after a while, after like take after take after take, they started getting like bloodthirsty and they having the, the, a lot of fun. Like, like, yeah, he described it as fun to beat the crap yeah. out of her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how, and, and, so and, before really getting into it, how does the movie end? The movie ends that she manages to jump through a second window. There was a first window that she jumped through earlier in the movie and yeah, starts running. Going through those windows. The hitchhiker and Leatherface are both chasing her. 
all of a sudden the truck from the cattle uh the, the slaughterhouse shows up and just runs over the hitchhiker and flattens him into the ground so she has one person that she's no longer running away from but then leatherface is still chasing her the guy gets out of the the cattle driver gets out of the truck he's chasing her and her like both of them around and around <laughs> and around finally the guy takes a knife throws it into Leatherface's. I thought it was, I thought it was a wrench. It's a wrench. Oh, it's a wrench. A wrench. So, he, so he hits him. The chainsaw starts going through Leatherface's leg, but he grabs it the last second, you know, just as it cuts, which was the real chainsaw, I think. But they had a blood pack, and it just—I guess it burned uh, the guy that actually Gunner uh, that played uh, Leatherface. It actually it burned like his flash, burned his skin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so she manages to get into another truck, and so does he. And Leatherface is left going like this with the like original kind of... with the first truck driver <laughs> yeah like they leave yeah. the the truck driver that saved her life just yeah, yeah. He, he runs that he runs down man. some random area and we never see it. yeah <laughs> like they're just like this guy doesn't matter and somehow even with that ending there's sequels yes. you think the cops will be on that place so fast after that but like no so many sequels <laughs> well they kind of restarted the the thing after four like like the the continuity and i think there's like three continuities now or no then they got rid of all the sequels so whatever it's it's all confusing <laughs> the, the sequels aren't that good they're diminishing returns although four has a special place in my heart because matthew mcconaughey who plays the new um cook it goes full yeah. nicholas cage in that movie yeah. texas um, is texas's new governor yes kidding Wow. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, not a good movie, but it is worth it alone just for Matthew McConaughey's performance. I've seen some pretty and, bad movies for some pretty bad actors. So uh, and Renee Zellweger's in it too. So like, what? like two good act. This is b both before they were famous. They wanted to Renee yeah. Zellweger had a big movie coming out. They wanted to market her this Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the same time that they marketed her new movie. Wow! So she would be like an established movie star. Well, first they shelved it because they thought it sucked. Um, it, and it pro and, they were probably right. I haven't seen it, but my guess is they were right. Yeah. Matthew McConaughey was like kind of, uh, you know, then uh, immediately, because the next movie he did, uh, which I think was The Client or whatever, was a Grisham film. That, that was kind of his big breakout role. Um, so so he was a star. And then Renee Zellweger did uh, Jerry Maguire. And they're like, well, we got to put this out now. Wow. That's wow, funny. Wow. That's funny. Yeah, that's crazy. And Matthew McConaughey was involved in it as like a passion project because it was Texas. They were like, yeah, he was really he was really gung ho about wanting to be in Texas. Yeah, he, he was going to be the biker, but then they cut the whole scene for the, the whole character of the biker, and he's just like, fine, I'll be the guy at the gas station. Let me in, and just goes ham. Oh my word! Uh, so uh, does does anybody like this movie? Is this uh, anybody gonna I mean, argue that this is a good movie? <laughs> See, but th this is this is the thing that we I feel like we come to every single time because I think that I don't want to argue whether it's a good or bad movie. Well, but for it. Wait, wait, wait. I, but I want to say that the thing that it's supposed to do, it very successfully does. The thing that it's Suck. supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I'm it's supposed sorry. to do is be disgusting and and scare the <laughs> you. Really, that's yeah. the purpose of yeah. it. Yeah. At what point did you become so scared you defecated? <laughs> Where in this movie did it really frighten you? Well, but it did. It did. Like, uh, you know, we went to some haunted houses here locally uh, last weekend, and 
the butcher in the meat shop that has human meat is a really common theme in um, commercial haunted houses. Maybe part of it is is that we've seen it so much that it doesn't have the kind of impact that maybe it did before that was just like, oh, there's a Halloween trope, you know. See, I, I didn't even feel like it was necessarily a Halloween trope. I kind of just went with it and allowed the the moral, I guess not moral, the, the logic of the movie, I guess, to take over. And I just kind of went with it and decided yeah. I was going to let it just, you know, uh, make me feel incredibly uneasy and and, and nauseous. And uh, I don't know. I So I, I think that the thing that it did, I mean, especially in the 1970s, but like even now, I think the thing that it's supposed to do is it's not meant to be a good movie with a plot that you're like, wow, because none of it really wow. can make sense. They don't explain anything to you. you. It's just kind of is what it is. They're putting it in front of you and saying, here, let's try to scare the wow. out of you. And I think it does that well. I, I think that it makes you feel unnerved as if you're watching, you know, one of those like old movies about an asylum, like documentaries about an asylum or something like where you, you just kind of feel gross after leaving it and like, you know, that you, you can see that they, they haven't treated anybody there very well. And like, I, you're left kind of feeling like dirty after watching it. And like, I that's how I felt uh, watching this. I felt very nauseous. I felt kind of just kind of disturbed. And I, I felt like, I don't know, I felt like it successfully did what it set out to do. Now, yeah, is it a good movie? I'd say no. But <laughs> okay, okay, right, okay, right, okay. Right. Yeah, it, it's it's part of like exploitation films, which are supposed to make you feel nauseous and dirty and yeah. and um you know and none of them are good um they have their moments i mean like you know i spit in your grave the castration scene classic but you know uh exploitation films are not meant to be enjoyed they're meant to be kind of like to see what kind of like like what you're made out of uh in a way and uh it's hard to enjoy oh and you really see what you're i watched too many of them in college so your body parts are everywhere you really see the inside of people (laughs) So I, I think I think in that sense it works. I think it works very well as an exploitation film. Yes. I, I don't think that if you're looking at it in terms of a movie with a coherent narrative, in terms of a movie that's, you know, filmed well, it's not. It's filmed amateurishly. Um, I mean, maybe partially on purpose, and I think also partially just, you know, they just... But it not... also really does set up tension well. Like, like there's a lot of tension that's done very well uh, the, the way it's shot. yeah. I and I think a lot of that is also that they don't show you they don't show you the gore in it really. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, there's they talk about cuts and things that people tried to make to it to make it have a lower rating or viewable overseas, mm-hmm. and they didn't show the gore on screen. They saw, you know, Leatherface or him holding and bringing down the. Uh, uh, chainsaw is the word <laughs> um, but I mean even putting what's her name Pam or whatever her name was up on the meat hook you just see her reaction to it you know, yeah. you're not seeing any of the wounds and there's only in the same way that, in the same way that Psycho did that with uh, the shower scene mm-hmm. you assume that you've seen her get stabbed a whole bunch of times and when you actually watch it back you haven't actually seen the knife ever go in exactly exactly mm-hmm. So they they weren't able to cut footage to bring down the rating because it just wasn't in there. Yeah, well, but, but, the, the the whole thing is that Toby Toby Hopper or to, like the, the the director of it went to the MPAA at the beginning of filming and said, "How what can I show and still get this movie cut for TV?" See, because because the point of it is 
once again, not to be a good movie. It's to be something that he can market and mm-hmm. say, you know, I scared the out of these people and I should make more horror films as like an amateur director. So he went to the MPAA, MPAA like ahead of filming and was talking to them the, the entire time and was just like, hey, can I show someone going up on a meat hook? They're like, no. And they're like, can I show their reaction if, if it's implied that they're on a meat hook? They're like, I, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, we've never really had anyone ask that question. That's weird. <laughs> You're weird. Get away from me. <laughs> so he so he never wanted to show any of the, the like, even even Franklin, you know, getting sawed in half. You don't you see the The, the camera's directed at Leatherface the entire time. Yeah. Well, Charlie, did you like it? Did you I'm, think I'm, it was I'm a like, good movie? I'm looking at you going, you, you were into this. He's been holding back. No, I did not like it. I approach this movie the same way that I approach literature in that I think that all narrative art is kind of an ecosystem of different things that are uh, working together or if it's really bad working against each other. Usually in narrative art, I, I think there's four different aspects that are important, which is obviously the narrative, the characters, the setting and the dialogue. And this movie fails in three of those four areas, and it does eh, okay in one of them. Um, setting? Yes. Hey! Setting. Yeah, setting. Because the narrative, as you all pointed out, sucks. It doesn't make sense. It's rather random. I mean, she jumps out a window twice. I liked that, that was she cool. jumped out of a window. I, I was talking about how bad the narrative was. I mean, oh I no! I like that through, they jumped uh, out the, the window. The characters from the beginning of the movie are not the same characters at the end of the movie, mostly because they went from alive to dead. Uh, so there was some growth there. Um, you know, there was an arc that you could see. It, it, God, it's it's. <laughs> I, I can't even agree with that, but I mean, but you want to look I, at him. He wants what to. Mean they're not dead. No, I don't want to. I I just you know I don't I don't see any growth. It, because I was going to say, the characters to me are, are pretty two-dimensional as well. So as far as growth, it's like flipping over a piece of paper. It's not that much growth. But yeah, no, two-dimensional, you know, the, there's not a lot. You know, at one point I was rooting for the cannibals. Right? Because oh the my characters gosh. are just awful. And, and Listen, it's like, they're just, it's, they're just a, they're a real family. They're suffering from deindustrialization. All of a sudden, and, and a an home invasion. Gun. Yeah, there's an there's an air gun, right? And they lose, you know, the grandpa loses the career that this family has been building for generations. All of a mm-hmm. sudden, they don't have that free head cheese anymore. Uh, what yeah. do they do? You know what I mean? They got to go to right, right, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. To get their ho- their hobbies together. I, I mean, they got to go kill people. They, the people have got to be the head cheese. They don't have that free access anymore. They can go hang out, you know, at the slaughterhouse all they want, but at some point they're going to be like, "We've given you all the free head cheese you're going to get." I, I thought, great here. I, I, I guess you could take that view. I was I just disagree. sympathetic because I hated the characters. Well, um, and, and you have that humanizing but, moment with Leatherface after the third yeah, one shows up, and he's yeah, like, "What he the down, heck? Man. Why? How many?" Well, and and also, you know, the the character development of the cannibals is more palpable mm-hmm. you see you see the gas station guy go in and start hitting people with brooms and you're like well you know these people are basically being abused or so it's implied in one way or another mm-hmm. and so you know they have a different kind of development than the 
the characters, you know, I swear to God, if I had to hear more about Zodiacs, I was going to slip my wrists. <laughs> um, it also it, it also teaches you don't trust people who like Zodiacs. Or about also, you. also the gas station guy said, don't go messing around in the old houses. Some people don't. I, like I was going to say he gave the best advice of the movie. And yeah. nobody listened. Um, I was watching it with my sister and I turned to her. At one point, I said, look, it pays to be an asshole. You just drive right past whoever's on the side of the road. Don't worry about it. Just keep going. So, you know, characters are pretty 2D. In fact, the the villains are more developed. Um, The setting for me was the better part. Um, There was an attempt at, you know, authentic setups, you know, with uh, the... I would give give the settings more than just an attempt. They had rotting like dead yes, animals right well, I, was about, I, I was about to I say i thought the setting yeah. was so over the top hokey yes, uh it, it reminded that's, that's me why, that's why i say an attempt at authenticity it's yeah it, it reminded me of, like of blair witch well, it looked like an early uh <laughs> iteration of what would become satanic panic you know it looked like they were it, trying to make an occult reference when there well, wasn't really any the Illuminati, if you see part four. Wait, where's you the see, cult all, all your questions are it's answered all by the Illuminati. All the time. It's it they're making a cult references. Yeah, it, where? It, it, it's it you know. With the it's, hanging it's, bones uh, and the like yeah, they've got it's Ed it's Ed Gein though. Yeah, right. but did Ed Gein Friend of show do Ed that? Because every everything I've heard about Ed Gein is that he did like he used bones as decor, mm-hmm. but they were using them as talismans. Yes, they were. They had yeah, an occult but, aspect yeah. to it. They were leaving them as symbolic warnings at the porch. They were right. hanging in ways that were like. Well, yeah, but that's just because they don't want people coming it, on their porch. It, I mean, you know, it, it it's it's a cross between a mildly well set up uh, Halloween store and you know redneck <laughs> nightmare, basically. But see, um, all these all these things are are uh, like in the horror genre. I feel like are tropes developed because of and after. Texas Chainsaw this is why it's such a bad movie this is why it's such a bad movie because it does set up uh, it, it does have that proto uh, satanic Which panic element I watched it back element. to back last night with Blair Witch oh god by the way. Blair, Blair Witch <laughs> was, was full uh, moon, and two... it was creepy and I was alone in my basement there we was... did Blair Witch two weeks ago yeah and uh, mm, it's a movie <laughs> This one was more yep. interesting than Blair Witch. Yeah, but it does. And Blair Witch Two is more interesting than Blair Witch. But <laughs> this sets up this sets up a satanic panic narrative with like occultists being on the rampage and murdering people. People actually went to jail because the public started to believe that nonsense. That's true. Um, it also does that uh, hillbillies are scary trope. Yeah, like uh, Deliverance almost. And- I, I don't know that I've said this to any of you, but I am She's uh, hillbilly. a hillbilly on both sides of my family. Like, my people <laughs> come from the hills. That's who... From the Halls? Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, no, no, no. Ozark. No, we're Ozarks. Uh, Ozark, okay. We're, we're Ozark people. Yeah, you're not hearing the full accent right now. It comes out around other accent. Yeah, I, I slip in and out. Like, I, I can really get very hillbilly in my speech patterns. Yes, she can. Uh, and sometimes we should have had you on for them. a nightmare on Elm Street. There was 
I, I, I noticed everybody slipping into accents back and forth throughout but, the entire episode. But, but yeah, like we've talked about the representation of a bunch of different people. I know that, that people have opinions about how Italian Americans are presented, for instance. But the hillbilly representation is so bad. And that's the, that's the portion of America that we're really losing in the narrative as well. We are allowing them to be propagandized from the right mm. and we've allowed them to be propagandized from the right without any like good influence from you know more sensible minds uh, yeah, since unions out there since like before the, the civil the war mm -hmm. i mean <clears throat> like most of these people are have some sort of like adherence uh, in the family probably have confederates in the family but probably didn't actually have the like wealth and privilege mm -hmm. that came with the the systems there they were the poor white people that were upholding chattel slavery because they were told that it was better for them somehow and mm -hmm. it wasn't i mean they are the group that was con consistently put on the back burner through like mm -hmm. every point in history well and the whole idea of inbreeding and yeah living on the family yeah. right. uh, land and the old house and yeah and yeah the uh the developmental disabilities and and all that stuff that's a long-standing negative stereotype especially in horror and look I had family members that really enjoyed taxidermy, okay? <laughs> like, <laughs> I like knives. It's, I was really mad yeah. during the hitchhiker scene. I'm just like, this movie hates creepy people. But yeah, like a lot of the like hillbilly I people would, in mean, my family, like hillbilly. they'd have like taxidermied frogs that were like using a toilet. You know, <laughs> like very... Uh, not like Psycho at all. No, no, no. But definitely well, like his, his that's birds, a decoration choice. None of them used the toilet, though. No, no, they didn't. Yeah. But I mean, like. Well, it's, it's one toilet at a time, really, in film. Yeah. I grew up in California, but my, my parents grew up in rural areas in the middle of the country. And even in California, we had taxidermy in the house. You know? Not to say I love taxidermy, but it's not a signal of you're going to get it. Yeah, yeah just, I I, I guess I have easy... a pretty high tolerance of taxidermy, and to have it presented as like, oh, this is a signal that you should get out of there, like it just doesn't code for me. You know what I'm saying? It's just it's an easy way to creep people out because in in, in cases especially where I they're guess. doing movies based on 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 you know Ed Gein, who mm -hmm. you know as a is someone who did learn how to taxidermy so that he could you know what I mean so, so he could specifically do that. So by by you know having these first because they're first really the the first uh, serial killer movies. I mean it's you know Psycho this and um, based around the same serial killer and then also um, Peeping Tom like movie like, you know what I mean. So it's the beginning of a of, of a whole genre of serial killer yeah. movies. Yeah, I, I don't think you can call this one a serial killer movie though because it, well, you don't I'm know. I'm saying the fact that it's inspired by. Ed Gein. Yeah. Like, yeah. So but, it's inspired by the same serial killer that inspired Psycho. Whether or not he's a serial killer is even sort of a question based on my memory of his He's story. a killer. He's a killer. And I would, if you she were going to. She questions whether he killed more than one. Yeah. And. He killed. All right. So he confessed to killing two. Um, and but, then throughout his entire house, both grave stuff from graves were found, but also disappearances have been taking, taking place around 
his uh, his home for a very long time. Okay. And they didn't bother to really ask him. I listened to the whole story the other night. Okay. Um, on on, <laughs> on multiple true crime podcasts, which by the way, I feel like I've suffered from my art because I <laughs> hate true crime podcasts. They are the worst genre of podcast. And wow. Halloween, could the be 2018. Worse than than uh, Jordan Peterson. Yeah, come right, on not, now, like come on. Jordan. All right, maybe, maybe philosophy podcasts a lot of times are worse than. <laughs> but you know what I mean. So like yeah. I, so he, he force is, is going to alienate all his audience. Like let's just get them all. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's he's believed to have killed a lot more than what he confessed to. But they kind of they got the two murders. They got him to confess to the two murders. And they kind of just said, you know what, like, this, this person's going to end up in an asylum anyway. He's literally, like, you know, half the time thinks he's in communication with his dead mom. Like, let's get him put away for those two murders. And, and they didn't really push the other ones. But I, you know, they, they, it's believed that there were just constant disappearances around there. And, like, some of it could just be Texas or not Wisconsin stuff because it was in Wisconsin. It wasn't Texas. But, like, you know, like, whatever mm-hmm. they have up there. Bears. Well- so, <laughs> I am actually an honorary Wisconsinite too. Um, so, so uh, as an honorary Wisconsinite, yeah, weird things happen in the woods there. Yeah. Well, so so in so in this movie though, like there there is a lot of human remains. I guess there's arms. Uh-huh. I guess you could say like fully fleshed arms that probably yeah. didn't come yeah. from a buried Arms body. robbery. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm on board with serial killing <laughs> in the movie. I guess. Well, but yeah, but I mean, the thing I, with Ed Gein think... again. They yeah. go off. They they uh the the takeaways from the Ed Gein story that come into uh, the movies based on him mm. is oftentimes uh like men who show any amount of feminization yeah are so sick in the head as to be violently dangerous to every single person they meet yeah you see you <laughs> like, see it in psycho when he inhabits mother and you see it in here too because leatherface he, puts on his lady face for dinner yeah yeah no he's he's supposed to be the grandmother and I, four, they a, take it know, to another level I, I mean like you know there's a lot la- i mean there's a lavender panic right like it's happening on and off throughout this entire time period where you know, gay men are treated as something that you should be terrified of. Single, like bachelor single men that have spent their li- lives that yeah. way. It was like in the DSM thing. Yeah, DSM because V is the five. Never mind. Mm-hmm. Sorry. DSM. <laughs> There's definitely um, an element of that in, in all of these movies. And, you know, kind of in some ways reminds me of uh, like the Gimp in Pulp Fiction is kind of a similar character to Leatherface in this movie in the sense of like, you know, like he's like Leatherface seems like the, the far more effeminate kind of mask person that, that, you know, is in that, is in that feminized role within this family unit, which. And and is the one that does the killing and has the high pitched voice. Sounds like Beaker (laughs) from the Muppets. Yeah. 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 (laughs) That, that took me out of it. And the final scene where they're running around the truck but he's not very fast so it's like she's <laughs> able to just like outrun him around the truck that completely took me out of because i really i i was i was nicely creeped out by the house it was over the top but i also you know attribute that i mean maybe it's my you know new york prejudice like i i see something like that and i'm like you know what this is it makes sense like it's like you know texas overly kitsched cannibalism 
Like, you know what I mean? Like, so maybe that's my own prejudice taking over. One of the like <laughs> first things that kind of made me go, uh, that's not that scary, except it kind of is, was when they were talking about head cheese. Ah! Sorry, that was a noise. Yeah. H- have any of you had head cheese? It's just sausage, right? No, it is not sausage. Oh. So I went and visited a friend in Germany, and yeah. her mom decided to be really nice to the to the guests that she had there and cook a really special meal. And it was head cheese. Dare, dare and, head cheese? <laughs> and yeah, they, they had a different name for it. It didn't translate to head cheese. But I came downstairs, and there was a whole pig's head, whole pig's head, just in a skillet on the stove. Just like sitting there kind of heating up i guess and that scared me and so i tried to go uh eat something else that night i told my friend i said like just tell your mom that americans can't go 48 hours without eating mcdonald's they they take all the bits out of it uh the meat the gristle there's there's some like maybe parsley in there too and then they make a gelatin out of the the bones and it's served cold it's jello it's gristly jello and it was and is to this day the most um unsettling thing i have uh ever tasted uh but having eaten that i uh am really down to try anything i'm just very okay yeah we can try that (laughs) it's it'll be fine but when he's sitting there describing it like it's really horrific i'm sitting there thinking like of my like very hospitable German friend's mother, like making this definitely slaving over, yeah, slaving like over really it. an act of love to make the head yeah. cheese. Like it's a really labor intensive act. Um, well, it, it seemed like it seemed like in their case, it was also a really uh, you know l- like love and labor intensive act. Or give or door. No, but it seems like in in this case, you know, there were probably people in it, but. It did seem like they were very proud of their head cheese. They, it seems like oh, they yeah. were, you know, it's really... It's environmentally conscious. You're using more of the animal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and... you are. I, technically speaking, they were also recycling everything, really. Like, mm-hmm. people, animals. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we kind of just let our people rot in the ground, but they were creating furniture out of them. Ikea Ikea lamps, that you know, at one point. Which which is another of the, uh, the Ed Gein things yes. is that he he had a lamp in his basement made out of a, a oh, human face he had plenty uh, of i actually kind of wish now that he had like ikea names for all of his uh, <laughs> uh <laughs> it's like what's this this is my bork <laughs> and over there's my schlafenkagen <laughs> all right amanda amanda yes i know you've got a good issue here i i've talked about my issue my issue being the uh, hillbilly representation yes and andy only partially backed me up on that so this movie has it out for creepy people <laughs> and as the resident creepy person i'm offended but what <laughs> before, sorry before i knew the hitchhiker was a villain i was just like wow they're really mean to him he's just trying to share his interests yeah, well, and then it turned I, I out think, he was a villain. I, I do, I do think that they were making connections between Franklin, who I think is just kind of a nice, weird, handicapped boy, Pro- like annoying person to be around, I'm sure. But like, you but know, portrayed he, terribly. Like, 
the the people. No, I, I think there's. I think that they were trying to make a connection between that hitchhiker and him. They were because they both like um, knives and and were talking about the cattle and stuff. Like the movie did. So I was joking about the creepy people representation. Although I am usually the creepiest person in any friend group. So, <laughs> um, but that's where it started. But this movie really doesn't like people with disabilities. Like, from the very beginning, the hitchhiker is supposed to be incredibly off-putting and making this connection with Franklin, who's in the wheelchair. And the hitchhiker has, I don't know if it's a, a birthmark or what, on his face. Like, can you talk about more trite movie villain trope than some kind of disfigurement on the face? Mm-hmm. Which, there are people who have giant birthmarks and, and other The defect. port wine yeah, other defects Birth on their mark, face. Yeah. Like I knew the sweetest woman who would re- like wouldn't be in family photos. Like it's it's really affects people. And or Gorbachev, he teared down that whole wall. Um, <laughs> so, Mr. Gorbachev. All right, there's our Reagan connection. You can't <laughs> so you can't get through up. an episode without Reagan. Apparently, but um, so. Franklin is sort of the perspective character from the beginning of the movie up, up until people start parting ways and, and find the house that the Leatherface family lives in and all that. Um, but he is not shot as sympathetic for the audience. Like like you've been saying, Forrest, he's annoying. The friends and his sister are annoyed that he's there and are talking down to him and... He goes on, like, a three-minute-long raspberry spree. Yeah. Just, like, this is not representation anyone is asking yeah. for. Um, which is which is also what the hitchhiker and Franklin, like, are, you know, mm-hmm. after after seeing that the hitchhiker run after the car and go and do that over and over and over again, you see Franklin doing it at the bottom of the house. And yeah. it definitely cements that connection. They're very purposely drawing a parallel there. Yeah. And it's not a positive one. And then you have... Leatherface, who was in part acted based on an autistic stereotype. Well, the the hitchhiker was based on a the actor's schizophrenic nephew. Yeah, like it's just terrible <laughs> to people. Which isn't. Which, to be fair to you know, uh, whoever like, I guess Toby Hopper and like whoever like is creating the film is not something that they'd written in. It's something that the actor that played the hitchhiker well, because it was crazy. a very and and he very... he looked at the writing and said oh this is like my schizophrenic nephew yeah so yeah. so that's you know that's problematic on his part i think i don't think that you know you wouldn't know that story like it's not like that story is written into the script you know mm-hmm. what i mean like i that that's on on the part of the actor going hey i found my motivation i have a nephew that's schizophrenic and this is just like him yeah so but also I, but also directors and producers do give notes Right, and it seemed like they were more than happy not, to take it that direction. Not, not so much in this case, I don't think. They had thirty With pages of a script. Three different actors portraying different people. I mean, like, so you have the hitchhiker and Leatherface, who have both some kind of mental illness or developmental disability, yeah. underneath the abuse and the cannibalism and the implied inbreeding. I don't think this movie is positive to people with disabilities I at think all the exact opposite i am exactly. just you know uh, like putting it into context i don't necessarily think that you know it, it's like written in as a director where an actor finds their motivation it seems like very little was actually written for these actors and they were just kind of set loose to find this motivation to find their disability wherever it may have resided 
Yikes. <laughs> and, yeah. and, you, and you see the influence that Texas Chainsaw Massacre has had on horror movies since its release. I mean, it's one of the first examples of the final girl with Sally making it away at the end. And the whole... Um, which gives Mask some respect killer. to Jamie Lee Curtis, and yeah. don't don't lay all the final girl stuff at her feet. Yeah, but like this, this really was very influential. I mean, we talked about the Blair Witch Project and and tons Haunted of other movies houses. that I haven't seen yet. Uh, yeah. um, but also, it has a negative influence as well. Like as much as the final girl is an interesting character, the continued use of disfigurement as being a signifier of of danger horror and danger and evil and it's just nasty i mean you see the same like uh there was a heavily featured facially disfigured man in midsomar well it's almost like they're trying to do the uncanny uncanny valley phenomenon mm. with uh actual humans yeah and that's not what uncanny valley is supposed to be like the creepy thing is the thing that's not actually a human mm -hmm. and these are all actually humans and they tried to make them. them look unfamiliar enough as to replicate a sense of dehumanizing them. Yeah. Like, I, I think the movie would have been a lot more interesting for me personally if it had started following the perspective of Leatherface. Because there was that one scene where he's responding to all of these strangers showing up at his house that he's having to kill. And I was like, that's interesting, actually. He's yeah. not happy about this situation. And I think that it kind of places the, the, the genre, I guess, the slasher genre into yet another category. Because we've been, we've been tracking the categories mm. of these movies throughout our entire, you know, Murder Night extravaganza. Problematic uh, consumption of, of many of these movies. So I, I think that this is a good time to bring this up. We, we started out, the, one of the first ones is Halloween. And mm. it's kind of accidentally, but still kind of sets the template for like you have sex you die mm -hmm. as like a trope in in these movies and then friday the 13th kind of took a similar track and mm -hmm. then kind of ran with it and a lot of these other movies ran with it so that's like the first rule then we did nightmare on nightmare on elm street which is kind of uh the you fall asleep you die rule which is i think the most terrifying of the oh yeah many that one's genres of yeah movies yeah like i think that i think that the idea that because i think that you can obviously avoid you could just be uh you could be joker and you can not have sex for the whole movie right like you know nightmare on elm street movies do deal with sex a lot though yeah but but it's 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 not I mean, the catalyst for their death but like there's no rule that if you do that you know what i mean like mm -hmm. that's what happens so if you fall asleep you die one i think is the most terrifying that we've tracked because you can't not fall asleep you know what i mean like no matter what you do at some point you're gonna fall asleep and then you have to confront this this is kind of a third rule. This is like the, the don't go on someone else's property, <laughs> go into that old house rule. Well, which... no, it's it's don't go into rural America. Mm -hmm. I, I think in this because case, because even the public is. spaces were dangerous. The, the gas station, and I think it was the sheriff who was drunk and lying on the grass at the graveyard or something. Like yeah. it, it, it's not contained to but, the but house. They, but they warn, but they warn you up until the point where you enter that space, right? Like mm -hmm. at the gas station, he says, "Don't go messing around no old house." Presumably, I mean, I don't know for sure. Like maybe he would have just kidnapped them from the gas station. That's not really what it seemed like. It seems like there's. It's a classic, you know, in horror stories in American folklore, mm -hmm. there is a lot of turn around, don't don't go further. Well, I mean, right? even like, even the idea of picking up hitchhikers, though, 
because yeah. before they ever even get to the gas station, before they get to the grandpa's house, before they get to the Leatherface house, there's the hitchhiker in the middle of rural nowhere on a long stretch of empty road who starts playing with knives and bringing out gunpowder and blood. Which is a very 70s, I mean, you know, you had the the free love, like, 60s pick up a hitchhiker decade, and you're entering a far more reactionary, number one, serial killers, pretty much like, you know, behind every corner, Zodiac Killer, like all these different serial killers kind of popping up during the 70s, and I think a lot of it obviously is sensationalized media, but like, you know, that is a, a common theme throughout the 70s. You have this rejection after kind of the Manson murders of, of uh, you know, of, of this more free love, like, oh, let's just pick someone off, off the side of the road. I, like, I, picked, I remember- I picked up hitchhikers. I, I'm not saying that. I'm just vest. saying like <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying like it, it. There's a there's a very open period, right, where people are willing to pick up hitchhikers on the side of the road. Things are kind of seen as an adventure. All these different things. Like I remember, I, would, I had a therapist and that went back and forth to Woodstock a bunch. Which Woodstock obviously didn't take place in the town mm-hmm. of Woodstock. You know, I live near Woodstock, like where both the town is and the festival took place, and. All of these older hippies remember music festivals and they would just pick people up off the side of the road, bring them to the music festivals, whoever it was, they would let them come into their house. They would all like, they would shower, they would, you know, so it's all these different things. And at the beginning of the seventies, after like the Manson murders, the first, you know, sensationalized, these are hippies that will kill you moment that ends that decade. Yeah. yeah Zodiac killer. And, yeah. uh, oh, there's Victoria that one in California. Sippy. There's Golden State, State killer. There just seemed like a bunch Who of just them, got like, found out right recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he, he dormant because it became a from cop. a true crime podcast and both, yeah from and um, some familial from, uh, DNA. Um, but comedian? but you know there was Patton a, Oswalt, his wife. Yeah, Patton, yeah, his 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 now deceased wife. Mm-hmm. That... But it it wasn't just Manson. There were a lot of other factors like the satanic yeah. panic and what son of Sam well, was part much of that. Later, it did, but the groundwork was being laid. Like I said, with the with the whole idea of it, it kind of reinserted the witch hunt back into our minds and witch hunts are dangerous yeah like they're not well, the actually is, though, like they're like, not like funny a bit. total total witch hunt yeah, you know it's a bit of a uh, it was the, the later part of the 70s when, when they started really preying on the fears of like children disappearing which mm-hmm. then led into mm-hmm. satanic panic yes so, so we're a little we're a little uh you know this is 1974 so we're still closer to the 60s than we are to the 80s yeah, um, but they're well, also, but you know, in the '60s, you you also had a lot of uh, pagan ritual, as like kind of part of a spiritual awakening, and you see this turning away from the like open-hearted uh, spiritualism of pagan ritual that was starting to spread in the hippie movement, and you start to see the kind of uh, fear-mongering representation of ritualistic uh elements from from pagan traditions mm-hmm. yeah another thing that you can kind of track with this i don't know if you guys have read any of uh rick perlstein's books but um you know throughout i mean there's the civil rights movement throughout the 60s and starting in you know 1968 well a little bit before that but 1967 1968 there starts to be the white backlash to the civil rights movement which is kind of one of the same um the, the idea of like counterculture, civil rights, being open-hearted, feeling like you're on the side of progress, all of a sudden turns to a, a backlash 
um, that elects Nixon in, 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 in 1968. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like you're seeing this far more conservative wave politically start, mm -hmm. you know, at, at the tail end of the sixties, making sure that, you know, that decade where things seem like maybe they would change tail ends there. Um, and I, and I think that this, I think that looking at the, the sensationalized accounts of serial killers throughout this decade, the sensationalized accounts of, um, you know, everything you should really be terrified of being afraid that, you know, picking up hitchhikers mm -hmm. that lead to you dying or being murdered, being stabbed and ending up in the hospital. The or... security obsession. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, it's not too many years later that they start. Um, what is it? Stop and frisk policing. You know, mm -hmm. they start to like up the, the police force. I mean, I, specifically that's talking about New York City, but like. <laughs> Uh, well, and that spread all over the country. Yeah. Well, and class and race are, are so tied in, into those The drug war subjects. starts. And yeah. it's never rich, inbred, cannibalistic hicks. <laughs> no. It's the poor hicks. It's the poors. But, but, like, so what, but like, what I'm putting forward by this is that, you know, the tail ending of this and this kind of fear-mongering of really any aestheticization, I guess, of, of these different um, modes of openness, I guess, modes of, of you know, the, the hippie movement or like just people kind of traveling around, picking up hitchhikers in whatever, um, you know, capacity they did. Like all of that becomes ways that you can fear monger, which is why kind of the horror genre, I think this kind of, you know, slasher movies kind of take off within this period. Well, you know, horror uh, is one of the best mirrors of society mm -hmm. because the the horror director is so has their finger on the pulse of what is actually scaring um, or is trying to sp scaring America at the time. Well, if it's an American horror movie, but it they're always political. They're mm -hmm. always really like what what's the underlying fear here and sometimes it's hard to enjoy horror that's not written for your era because that's not your deep down fear but there's also a question of when they make horror that way is it really feeding into a really negative narrative that was already building in the mind i mean is this is it actual propaganda is it commentary or is it is it feeding the scare right yes and, and it's really difficult it's really difficult to, to, to suss that out in horror movies, but I think it, it really is important. I mean, you can enjoy horror movies. I enjoy horror movies. I didn't like, this wasn't my favorite, but it wasn't like bad for a horror movie either. But it Could've is really important to discuss what's being represented in horror movies because if you don't, like it's getting you in a subliminal way. Um, you know, not science fiction type subliminal messages, but it is... It is designed to hit you in a place that maybe you don't realize you have And it can confirm prejudices. those biases, uh -huh. yeah. It's, it's designed to hit you that way. Like if you already think that people in wheelchairs are sort of Creepy immature or something. and annoying, yeah. Yeah. then this will just be... Yeah, if you, think, if, you think if you think men who put on makeup are creepy and scary, it's going to fuel that fire. And, and like every horror movie in specific really needs to be sussed out because it is, it's giving you a message that you're already primed to hear. And it deals Because it wouldn't sell if you weren't already primed to hear it. Mm -hmm. Nobody would go to that movie that didn't like hit at their deepest, darkest fears. 
And and I think that we, I mean, you know, kind of as we've done this, we've done an R8 job tracking that out. Yeah, you know, at least yeah. In, in the 70s. Well, because, you know, because we started, I mean, we did Halloween. We did Nightmare yeah. on Elm Street. We and, did and Halloween is, and is very specifically slasher. And this movie very specifically isn't mm-hmm. for one reason mm-hmm. alone, because this is this is hearkening back to um, specifically uh, exploitation films, like I said before, uh-huh. but also the fear of nature, which was a big thing that was uh, uh, underlined in horror uh, for, for a long time through the, the suburbanization mm-hmm. of America. Mm-hmm. And then, in the you know, 1978, John Carpenter made the sub- suburbs what's scary. And, yeah and that's yeah, this where is, this is, kind of pick up this um, is a much more um don't tread on me style yes. of part, right like it's yes. a, you know don't yes. go which is which is why i think i've put these movies into different categories i think the like you have sex you die category mm-hmm. of horror movies is very is very specifically speaking to um a, a you know a, a lot of americans that felt safe for a very long time and these suburbs are being created throughout you know that time and people are kind of experiencing unprecedented wealth or unprecedented at least you know like middle class yeah among- well i mean you're at the right at the end of it too like, like it started yeah. uh, it's the 70s was like this slow kind of crumble uh between like you know the gas shortages and uh and you, see that, you see that in this movie too i mean not, yeah. not well the fact that it doesn't have gas i don't think it's spoilers gas story, like the first started. five minutes of the movie i'm gonna spoil but like <laughs> but but you do see the fact that you know they're they're switching from doing the the mallet style of, of killing of cattle to the air gun like it, it's deindustrialization in, in that case you know things are being now automated you no longer need someone this sinister force just hitting the cattle over the head over and over again you now are far like further into the industrial process and because of that this family seems to be put out of work that i mean i'm sure that they had some pagan you know hillbilly stuff well, the, the, like, the Illuminati if you looked was at those characters about. like if you looked at those characters that i'm sure that they would say before that this mm-hmm. stuff was still happening for those specific characters but like it still seems like the catalyst for them that the cannibalism seems to be getting fired and and like kind of laid off from from the i don't know because the gas station the cook had a job not at the cattle yard i don't know yeah but but being a gas station attendant and having a um and barbecue cook yeah it's it's not the same as a factory job it didn't that's um, true like the loss of factory jobs to go into the service industry is a major part of um the driving poverty in uh, some of the poor parts of america mm. uh for like 50 years now yeah no it, it kind of it hits this point of um what pascal robert from uh this revolution calls like the 50-year counter-revolution like it it, it kind of um like i was hoping you do an impersonation of him no i will never do that (laughs) (laughs) i cannot do that and if i tried to do that bad things would happen to me (laughs) as in i wouldn't get to host their their show you know him and jason's show every month as a movie host (laughs) um so I, I really, so I, I think that that, you know, they make sure to show you that the economics of this part of rural Texas is based around the fact that, number one, the grandfather, you know, they, they make sure mm-hmm. to show you that the grandfather is a cattle farmer. He has cattle. He brings them to the slaughterhouse. Then, you know, presumably the, the grandfather on the cannibal family's side, they're, they're the cattle that he gets paid for. He slaughters those cattle. 
they get made into the head cheese, they get made into the barbecue, they get sold off, whatever, you know, whatever is going to happen to they, the... They use the hides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for so, transports, everything to, uh, you know, the meats of Fort Worth or, or wherever, because Fort Worth was a, a big distribution hub um, of, of meat. Uh, so presumably the, the air gun, you know, lessens the amount of, like, the well, the price of the cattle they're going to get because they can do it a lot faster. Presumably the, the grandfather gets is old anyway but like the family would have probably taken that as a role that they continue to do and been the been the you know slaughters of the cattle they get laid off from the one thing that they're really trained to do and because they're so um the the you know they're so in, intertwined with that style of killing that style like the slaughterhouse itself they switch to having people as their main uh mode of but, of, of getting food but see and... how how telling is it in this time when you're seeing uh deindustrialization or automization whichever uh or exportation of jobs overseas uh but you're seeing the factories closed down like like yeah. like billy joel said and um in this time when the the most it, the people who are being harmed the most by America's economy rather than being framed as people that we need to like strengthen our social welfare system or have better like uh, socialism right Mm -hmm. instead of being like let's take care of them it's like well these bastards will eat you if you get close you know Uh, yeah well it's 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 a reactionary cultural backlash taking place at the same time Mm -hmm. as an economic shortening and it's you know it's definitely sad that 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 happened it's definitely a lot of it is in response to the the war on poverty and the fact that you know i mean it's tied up so intrinsically with the civil rights movement which not that Mm -hmm. those things you know it's tied up intrinsically in the sense of like you know it's very easy to end those programs and go guess what guess who's benefiting from those programs black people do you Mm -hmm. want black people to benefit from those programs and you know poor whites also benefit from those programs that point isn't raised yeah, but all. they're also they're starting so they're, to depict. They're scaring you. They're scaring you from all of all sides. Yeah, they're also to starting to... to depict poor whites as being some sort of uh, not polite society. You know, as they as has always been the case. I mean, right. If you really, like... But they're 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 specifically doing it there. So here's my question: yeah. Why was Leatherface wearing a collared shirt and tie and slacks? <laughs> this confuses me. He kills three Sunday people dinner. wearing a necktie, and this is the farming it's family. I mean, it's a, I mean, well, at the like, towards the end, it's a dinner party. He's dressed in his best. He changes outfits. Well, maybe yeah, that, but... maybe, but maybe that was the slaughterhouse well, y'all, y'all uniform. Y'all do that whenever you have guests over. You wear a tie to the slaughterhouse. It could have been their uniform. It could have been. A... Thought of as the uniform by someone who never worked in a slaughterhouse. I was just well, very yeah, like he's a professional by the outfit. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that Leatherface ever worked for the slaughterhouse. Do you know that? Well, he was still taking up the mantle of his grandfather or father. You could do that at home, amateur style. Yeah. He also he also embodies you know characters from whatever uh, mask and clothing he's wearing. So like you know at some point he takes on the feminine role of the grandmother or you know the the, the matriarch figure. When he's cooking the food and he has makeup on his face and they added the makeup on purpose for that reason so you could see that 
and, he's taking on that feminized role. And before then, he was taking on the role of an office temp. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, well, it's all on, uh, in part four. They said it was all because of the different faces he was uh, wearing at the time. The office. Well, they said that in the documentary body. too. So, so you know, it was like somebody from the that, office. They said that in the documentary of of the, the movie itself. Like, yeah, they said, yeah, but they, they explicitly said it in part four. They, they they hint at it in this movie, but it's explicitly said in part four. I mean, you you picture a butcher, and that's not what I'm picturing. You know, this Does is this is an earlier style? time. I don't know. I don't know. But I want to hear that from Charlie. I don't like him. I don't like him pigeonholed into just being a butcher. He seems to be, uh, you know, a caretaker of of the property. He seems to be, you know, someone that's that's curing curing everything. He seems to be someone that's really doing a lot of work around the house and just putting yeah. him in the, in the position of a butcher. I don't think that that's an accurate. Position. I think Butchers the day those three kids showed up. His main job was butcher. <laughs> well, I I find uh, having the different masks and uh, the different roles and stuff kind of interesting because if you bring it back to the, you know, kind of the portrayal of rednecks and hillbillies, what we would more commonly call now white trash. Um, I think there's a difference. There is a difference. of those things. Yeah. I mean, redneck implies a lot of manual labor that mm-hmm. white trash doesn't. Yeah. Like, if, if you want to get real specific yep. about it, my dad is redneck because he worked outside most of his life, and his neck is very much a different color mm-hmm. than the rest of them. Yep. But go on. I know what you're saying. Yeah, you're right. But more or less, um, what's interesting about the portrayal is if, if you if you look at it through what Forrest was saying, where there's a change in technology – um, and they're basically seen as being unable to keep up. It's kind of an odd portrayal in the sense that it it makes it to where almost it doesn't matter if they change. Like like it, it takes away the ability for what's perceived as the you know underclass of the United mm-hmm. States. Um, it doesn't matter if they change. Um, they can't get away from whatever it is whatever stereotypical you know let's say archetype they seem to uh portray which you know it's 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 interesting because again it's very reactionary um basically the point is you don't help them because you can't help them do you think Um, anything of the fact that they're apparently inbred and there are no women in the family and they're so removed basically yeah, basically the the notion is is that you can't help them, and not only will they not assimilate into society, to society, they can't, mm-hmm. and so then they have to pick from their own more or less and try to you know continue themselves through. You know, I wouldn't even say primal. It's it's just very you know they they perpetuate themselves through. Um taboo means yeah almost um i mean like this this kind of story of inbred hicks who murder cannibals or whatever it shows up in so much more media um like before recording i was talking to amy about it there's an episode in the x-files there's an episode in supernatural where the big baddies aren't even monsters they're just inbred hicks 
who mm-hmm. want to eat people and in soup and in the x-files specifically the way they're keeping the lineage going is the sons are making babies with mom yeah well it, i was gonna say there's a book by uh nancy eisenberg called white trash mm-hmm. where it documents sort of the uh perception and the acceptance of the existence of sort of this underclass mm-hmm. if we could call it that where um you know um, america for for example first off if you go into the history of the united states of america in general um when we f- when they first sent settlers over here they didn't send their best they <laughs> sent yeah they sent their own underclass they're not here. sending their best they're sending <laughs> crime they're uh, sending drugs well, yeah. they're pilgrims i mean i mean that, that i assume <laughs> Are nice people. Some of them. <laughs> right. Right. And and so but they were sent here explicitly to die. They were seen as fertilizer. Is the term that they were constantly sort of categorized as. Some definitely some some people. I, I think that there was a class division within the early United States that kind of was comparable to parts of, you know, England. Well, it, exactly. Not it, even the, mentoring the point... slavery. Right. The point was, was to send over people who weren't desired so that the people who were higher up, who wanted to come over, could come over to a a place that was already basically being, you know, worked through, taken care of, you know, Mm -hmm. God forbid an aristocrat, you know, has to cut down a tree or something. Religious minorities. Um, Right. (laughs) And so, um, you know, ultimately, this seems, you know, it's it's a long history and it's a, it's a very unrecognized history, but I think it's almost, um, as much as I hate to say it, it's almost, it's almost an unconscious aspect of the aesthetic of the United States where there, there seems to be a crossover from um, regular society and then, you know, this underclass place, it's never going to change. It doesn't matter what kind of technology – you know, technology just hurts them. Progress just hurts them, and that seems to be something that plays out in this, in this, mm-hmm. uh, in this movie. And who won the goddamn revolution? That's what I want to know. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and and so yeah, and, and ultimately, you know, that's why that's why I find that you know it's so interesting that Leatherface has different faces. You know, and and you know, there's the whole, you know. He, he he does so many different things, but basically the idea is like it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how talented he is. Talented. <laughs> um and, and 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 you know, it doesn't matter what he does. You know, it doesn't matter. I don't matter like that. I don't like that talented. He does he cooks. He No, butchers, the cook cooks. He chains and he's not even the best killer, grandpa is. I you thought know, that grandpa being the killer, best killer thing was a little convenient so she could get out of there. Well, yeah. I mean, but, I mean yeah, I, any right. family but, gathering's going right. to have its issues. Right, yeah. And, and I so, didn't like but, how they treated people who clearly have Parkinson's in that scene. <laughs> it was all uh, bad. <laughs> it was all bad. All right. So uh, I, I do want to like take a, take a little bit of time here to ask everybody if they could give us their uh, Ubrick rating. And you're all familiar with this, Yes. The Ubrick. It is your nonverbal yeah. expression of how you felt about this movie. Forrest. 
in I mean in a, both a positive and a negative way. I don't think it was a good movie, but my like like you know the 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 that I give it is also that I do think that it fulfilled the psychological and emotional torment that it meant to give to its audience. All right, Andy, do you have an Ubrick rating? Okay, so my face is like you know. I like it. I like that noise. <laughs> Charlie. Uh, <laughs> just it's it's a low groan. That yeah, I had to make louder. Amanda. Eh. Okay. Made okay. me angry. Creeps Made gotta represent. Angry. I enjoy graveyards. Too. I'm a knife enthusiast. <laughs> Seriously, I I was moderately grossed out by this movie. I I guess I would go like, well, uh, we are over time for what we normally record. So (laughs) I do want to remind everybody that we are professionals. Don't watch these at home. For 40 years, Michael Myers has haunted this town. He is the essence of evil, and evil dies tonight. Halloween Kills, rated R, under 17, not admitted without parent, in theaters and streaming only on Peacock now. For 40 years, Michael Myers has haunted this town. He is the essence of evil, and evil dies tonight. Halloween Kills, rated R, under 17, not admitted without parent, in theaters and streaming only on Peacock now.